to the third season of The Coaching Cast, your working from home managers club, here to check in with you weekly to share your working highs and lows, remind you that you're not alone and that there's many of us outside of your current four walls, all trying to be the best coach, leader and manager you can be. The world of work has continued to change since we started this podcast back at the beginning of 2021, just as the third lockdown in the UK had begun. Many of you may still be working from home 100% of the time, while some of you may have started to work in a blended approach, working between home and the office as many businesses have now started to return to their premises. Regardless of where you're working or what you do as a career, we've got something for you here at The Coaching Cast. I'm Lisa, founder of Grip Corporate Coaching, personal performance coach, leader and chief eye roller when it comes to all nonsensical corporate mumbo jumbo which suffocates rather than advocates. And I'm Susie, sales and business coach at Future You Business Coaching, currently taking on my hardest coaching assignment to date, still parenting a toddler who doesn't take too kindly to being questioned. In this podcast, we aim to explore the leadership and coaching techniques required to navigate and survive the current business environment. Presenting different topics each episode, which we will discuss with some special guests along the way, sharing ideas, hints and tips for you to take away and try for yourself. We've had our summer break and we're ready to go. We hope you enjoy listening. to start this season with a special two-part episode on the subject of imposter syndrome. In today's first part, we'll discuss what imposter syndrome means, how it presents itself and our personal experiences. In the second part of this special episode, we'll discuss techniques to manage this for yourself and potentially for those who are suffering around you. Stay with us and enjoy. So before we get into uh, this first part of the episodes we're covering on imposter syndrome, let's talk about the summer. So Suze, how has your summer been? Hi, hello, (laughs) season three. Oh my goodness, I can't believe we're back. We're back in the hot seat. Um, Yeah, no, I'm all good, thank you. Uh, The summer has been very quick. I feel like our summer break has flown by and we're back with the mic and our headphones on, uh, ready to record our uh, third season. Um, Yeah, summer has been, um, I'd say, pretty crazy, actually. I was hoping for a more, like, restful kind of break, kick back, thought, right, I'll relax a bit, um, you know, catch up on stuff that I hadn't done when we've been podcasting. Yeah, none of that happened. (laughs) I'd say the exact opposite happened. It kind of went all a bit crazy. So work went a bit crazy. Um, Parenting went a bit crazy. My nursery COVID bubble burst. So um, I was trying to work and look after my little boy at the same time at home, which for any parents out there who've obviously done homeschooling, that's pretty much impossible. Um, I had a hen do. Um, the house has been rent- is, is finally pretty much finished. So I'm back in my actual own office today recording this episode because obviously season two, I was at Laura's office. Yeah, so it's yeah. nice to be back in my own surroundings. Um, and setting up this morning, I was kind of like, oh my God, I've forgotten how to set up everything. <laughs> <laughs> I need to find the manual. Um, and then obviously we've been busy, haven't we, with the podcast as well over the summer. So We've got some new stuff for season three, which we're obviously going to share with you over the next kind of couple of episodes. We've been busy on our Instagram and also we've been moonlighting on some (laughs) other podcasts, haven't we? We have, yes. We had the pleasure of joining Stu and Chris on their Hardcore Listing podcast Mm -hmm. um, a couple of weeks ago now. Uh, So we feature in episode 234, if you want to tune in, where we share our top five bullshit bingos from our (laughs) podcast seasons one and two so far. And it was a blast. It was so much fun. I loved it. it. Yeah, it was so good. I was so it was such a privilege spending time with Stu and Chris, who are 
like podcast extraordinaires, really and truly. I know we call ourselves that, but you know, the fact we were episode 234 probably tells you all you need to know. And there are plenty more episodes that follow after us. So they are seasoned podcasters and excellent guys. So much fun. It was such a great episode. So you guys should definitely check it out if you haven't already. So that was brilliant. And then we were able to feature in the Pod Bible magazine, uh, again, supported by Stu and Chris. And then also featured in the iPaper as well, which was amazing. I know. I still can't believe that happened, actually. I know. It was cool to be in their recommended uh, podcast for for their readers to listen to. So that was pretty amazing. So, yeah. So I suppose you're right. It hasn't really been a quiet summer, has it? Everything considered, what with bursting COVID bubbles and ongoing uh, podcast prep and general podcast promotion. So it's been hectic for sure. (laughs) It's full-time job podcasting, isn't it? It is. I think when we started out, you and I were like, yeah, we'll just, you know, like turn up and have a little chat for an hour or so and just record it and see how it goes. And it kind of is a bit like that, but then there is this kind of whole other world that happens in the background, I know. Um, which, you know, we do have a little bit of help for. So shout out to Dave. Dave is still with us. Yes. Three. Yeah, Thanks, Dave. Dave. Thanks for continuing to put up with us. <laughs> <laughs> what a ledge. So yeah, we hope you're rested, Dave, because you're going <laughs> to need it. You're going to need it to put up with us for the next uh, however many weeks. Oh, so, yeah. goodness me. They will well, be desperate I, for Christmas. Oh, I know. I know. So, yeah, we're going to be um, leading up to, to Christmas. Like Lisa just said, we're going to be releasing a, an episode every week in the autumn. Um, so you've got a whole uh, 10 episodes to look forward to in season three. We're going to be covering all sorts of different topics, aren't we, um, yes. in this season? Um, and our first one today is on imposter syndrome, which I know a lot of you had actually previously asked for on our Instagram page. So we've listened and we wanted to do a, a two-part special to kick off the new season. So um, should we get going? Yeah, let's let's do it. Let's get going. Okay, let's go. So today we're discussing the topic of imposter syndrome. So let's start at the beginning and what this term actually means. So to support us in this task, we have obviously gone to the fountain of all knowledge, which is Wikipedia. (laughs) Thank God for Wikipedia. So according to Wikipedia, imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their skills, talents or accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud despite external evidence of their competence those experiencing this phenomenon remain convinced that they are frauds and do not deserve all they have achieved the term was originally published in an article in 1978 entitled the imposter phenomenon in high achieving women Dynamics and Therapeutic Intervention by Dr. Pauline R. Clance and Dr. Susan A. Imes. So Clance and Imes believe that the phenomenon was more prevalent in females, which was further supported in a more recent study of it in relation to gender and goal achievement in 2006. However, there is plenty of literature which states that it's equally shared amongst both men and women. Over the past 18 months, my LinkedIn feed has been filled with discussions about imposter syndrome, demonstrating that it is now a more widely known issue. And today we'll be sharing more of our own thoughts and experiences on this topic. So, Suze, what's your understanding and experience of imposter syndrome? Yeah, so it's definitely a topic which I have to agree with on my LinkedIn feed as well. And that's also with like general conversations mm. in my line of work, talking to lots of different people. Um, it's something that I think has become more prominent, especially during the pandemic, where we've all had to deal with uncertainty and rapid amount of change. Mm. Um, and I think it's become a lot more... Um, kind of common in terms of people's understanding of it I still think there is more to do in that space but um people are certainly more familiar with the term I would say than than say a couple of years ago um I think my kind of personal understanding or or the way I would kind of um define it for anybody who is still kind of a little bit unclear around what we're what we mean and what we're talking about when we refer to imposter syndrome is some very strong and pretty consistent feelings of self-doubt and also this kind of internal fear of um of 
being a fraud in a professional environment. So, you know, things like thoughts being very strong for an individual who's suffering from imposter syndrome, um, such as, you know, I got lucky to be here. Mm. Um, I don't belong here. They're going to find out that I can't do this. Um, Mm. And it's very much kind of, I suppose, comes from this inner critic, which we all have, like 100%. I absolutely do have an inner critic. Um, But when you, I think, suffer from imposter syndrome, that inner critic is very strong Mm. in the narrative that it feeds you on a probably a more frequent basis than if you are just suffering from bouts of self-doubt. And I think I have definitely suffered from bouts of self-doubt. I wouldn't say if ever suffered from imposter syndrome I don't think but you know we all have times when we doubt ourselves I in particular have probably experienced it more recently because I've transitioned my career from working in a big corporate organization where I knew you know the ways of working I knew the people I knew you know how it all worked to jumping out of that into uh having my own business setting myself up on my own establishing myself and my profile and what I do and having confidence and belief that I can service other people and have something that they want to buy from me mm-hmm. um and so those pangs of self-doubt have definitely crept in um for sure in the last 18 months whilst I've been you know setting up and running my own business and actually I think it's natural and it's good for people to have uh, times where they are thinking about their capabilities, having some questioning of their own um, skills, you know, and that self-doubt, because in some ways that's what makes us a good person because we want to do well, we want to improve, we want to do a great job. And actually, if you don't have that, you know, I would be questioning your emotional awareness and intelligence from that perspective. But I think the difference is for me, based on my kind of understanding and and, and experience of working with a few people who have suffered with imposter syndrome is that that's that kind of inner critic becomes hugely prominent Mm. and really you can't shake those feelings off. Um, Mm. They're very consistent and very strong. And I think that deep kind of focused worry or that constant narrative can be very, very draining on your, um, energy on your ability to perform and be able to do your job and interact with people well um and you know it's it's kind of really I suppose I'd summarize it as a bit of a silent agony because I think it can be quite hard to spot in people if especially if they're not aware that they may be suffering from it Mm. um but yeah it's it is quite a, a difficult um a difficult thing to uh suffer from and I know you've um kind of had a little bit of experience with with imposter syndrome. So what's some of your um, experience of it? Yeah, so I think y- you summarise it well in terms of that inner critic. And it's for me, is it's your inner critic on loud mode. You can't silence it. Mm. So it's as though you've got a like a music player in your head that will only play on one setting and the setting is loud and it's as though it's stuck. So it just goes on repeat. So I think it's great the way you describe the inner critic and actually how it can be helpful to us because it does keep us honest and reflective and giving us our own sort of sense of feedback which builds our own strength in our capabilities and in ourselves, mm. and allows us to have that emotional intelligence and awareness, but only to a certain point, it has to be balanced. And the, the inner critic, I think when you're suffering with imposter syndrome is only giving you one perspective and it's the negative unhelpful type. Okay. And as I said, it stays on stuck. It's just stuck and it's loud. So I do have a personal experience of it, which um I suffered with six seven seven years ago now and it was in relation to a promotion in a role I was in a in a company I was working for at the time so I was promoted to a senior management position leading people and specifically um people who were managing others and although I was excited to do the role I very much 
was attacked, I think, by nerves around my capability to actually do it and to do it well. And I think it was exacerbated by, at the same time, changing teams. So my role that I'd been promoted into then was transferred into another department altogether and in within a, a completely different part of the business so I then changed line manager head of department and peer group at the same time and I think it contributed to how my feelings of um you know not being capable and having that strong self-doubt and then how that sort of transpired into imposter syndrome it was all you know worsened by all of that change because my whole support network changed and I had to build it up from scratch. So I think my feelings at the time very much were people, and it was a perception I had. It didn't actually really come from any fact. And I think we'll go on to talk about how to more effectively manage imposter syndrome in the second part of this two-parter episode. But it didn't come from any real fact as to what people truly thought about me. Yeah, it was truly it was it was truly based on just my own belief that I wasn't good enough to do the job and everyone else didn't think I was either. Yeah. And it just escalated from there. So that constant sense of I'm not able to do this. I don't know how I really got this job. I'm going to be found out that I can't do it. And it is that being found out that I think you're constantly struggling with. Hence the, the you know, the the term fraud that comes into there. Um. It was just so strong and it becomes debilitating. So you use the word draining. It is draining. It's exhausting because you're emotionally uh, beating yourself up daily. And it's, it is so tiring and it actually is so counterproductive, therefore, to enable you to actually do the job at all. <laughs> yeah. So, so on top of feeling like you can't do it, even though actually you've successfully achieved the job, you've gone through the processes, other people have appointed you to it. You know, the other people have got the belief, otherwise you wouldn't have it. (laughs) Um, On top of, you know, all of that, you're then, and, and, you know, trying to build yourself into the job, you're then just constantly like berating yourself. And it's so counterproductive to you to be able to do it. Because if your whole focus is constantly in the fact that you can't do it, you're not actually putting yourself in a position to do it because you're just mm. completely suffocated with thoughts of the opposite. Um so yeah, it's a it's a very it's a very exhausting place to be in. And very scary actually, because it it does completely unsettle you. You know, you, you that belief in yourself is just gone. Mm. It sounds incredibly paralyzing, so Oh yeah, completely paralyzing. Because <clears throat> you self-sabotage your your own progress and moving forward and you know Lisa and I are both coaches so a lot of the work that we do is all about being future focused and, and taking helping people take action to move them forward whatever it is that they are maybe struggling with in in business um and so I think when you are then self-sabotaging your own progress um understandably because you are have got success such strong feelings associated with that situation Mm. you know that must be absolutely knackering like so tiring and I think what you said there about actually it kicking in when there was a lot of change and also I think I'm just reflecting on my own experience um of probably it's kicked in for me when I've had to make decisions where the stakes were really high Mm. and um there was a lot to kind of work through and there was a lot of implications not for me but for actually other people Mm. those probably feelings of self-doubt which are probably more relevant for me as I explained when when we started talking about it that's probably when they have um, been exasperated more um, in my experience and you know it's I can remember kind of being in a meeting and as I was talking as I went into that meeting I was really confident about what I was going to present what I was talking what I was asking for what the solution was like 100% and as I went in 
just those feelings of self-doubt just started to niggle away at me. I think somebody had said something to me at the start of the meeting and it really triggered me. Mm. And then I lost my train of thought, which triggered me again. And then I lost what I was, I was doing. And it was only one moment in time. And I know that's different from if you are suffering from imposter syndrome, it's continuous, mm. but um, you know, I can only relate based on that experience that um, that affected me for a good couple of, of, of days, probably even a week actually of, then not being able to move forward I was kind of stuck in just mm. feeling like that and I didn't know how to move myself forward um so yeah if, if you're experiencing that on a more consistent basis oh that must just be absolutely horrible yeah it's it is it is horrible and it's interesting because actually when I think about it now I can identify to your point when you talk about triggers some of what those triggers were for me okay. and why what was happening was happening so I think any promotion especially you know when we talk about promotion in respect of taking on more responsibility you know taking that step up I think that in itself is a challenging transition to go through Mm -hmm. and I think you know it requires space and time to do it well so you want to be able to feel that you've got the opportunity to make mistakes, to learn from those mistakes, to try things out, to, you know, learn, to build up some new skills. Cause it, every, every change takes some new skills to, to be successful at. I think the fact that I went through that promotional change at the same time as moving into a completely different um, team with different line management, different heads, different peers, and actually the the group of people I joined were experienced, seasoned, well-established, very uh, knowledgeable and skillful in the area in which we were working. And actually this particular role was quite a technical role. Okay. I think I put myself under a lot of pressure to be just as good as them as I, as I went through that change. And because at no point did I stop to correct that and say, no, it's okay because I'm new and I cannot compare myself to them because I'm very different and our experiences are very different. And actually it's okay that I'm new. It's okay that I'm learning. I'm okay. It's okay for me to make mistakes because yeah. of that, because I didn't acknowledge any of that and allow any of that to take place. And actually because no one in that structure, including my line manager or my head of department supported that way of thinking either none of that really helped me because I felt immediately under pressure to perform to get it right and actually that environment I moved into it was not a space where failure was okay 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 it might I mean not in not from my experience it was not okay to fail Mm. and you know, we've talked about failure before and how it's such a core um, way to learn. It's such a core principle to operate by. We've talked about growth mindset and how actually I think some of the most productive, effective, progressive work environments are those where they give people the space to try things out and to get things wrong. That requires a whole shift in culture it requires a space of trust which you, you do have to build up what what I was working at the time wasn't any of those things and I think would I have suffered with a touch of imposter syndrome anyway regardless of that yeah quite possibly but it was completely worsened it escalated because of that environment that I then worked in and because I really did not feel that I had anyone in that network who I could trust to share my feelings with and to try and get some factual feedback to support or either, you know, counteract that and to just help me to get through it. And I think that is so in any work environment, I think a successful one requires to have that in place. You need Mm. to have a support network where you feel people have got your back and I didn't have that. So I actually felt always as though someone was going to trip me up. And, mm. and, and yes, I think, as I said, a lot of that came from my own self-critic. Of course it did. It was worsened by the, however, the, by the fact that I didn't feel like I had anyone on my side. Um, so when you were in that situation, <clears throat> did you know at the time that 
that's what you were effectively suffering from imposter syndrome no not at all I was it after you were out of a situation you were like that's what it was yeah so what were some of the signs then for you that later on you were able to kind of relate back to thinking okay I think I was suffering from imposter syndrome at that time I think it was the the fact that I didn't feel that I deserved to be there okay that I did not have the appropriate skills experience capability to be doing the job that I wasn't technically capable I have a personal hang-up on technical capability so because I am not particularly technical and for example maths as a subject has never been a strong point of mine I've struggled with it ever since I was uh, in primary school so I have this innate fear around any particular task role that is heavily technical and and rooted in numbers okay and it it's it's it manifests itself into as I said this much bigger thing than it actually is can I interpret data yes that that's just a fundamental fact I know I can yeah she can uh, I can uh, I can thanks, absolutely so confirm I can. that can I do base <laughs> can I do basic commercials yes yes I can oh <laughs> uh, am I ever going to be any good at those things no because I don't actually want to be I don't enjoy them but yeah but a reason I don't enjoy them is partly because I've told myself I'm no good at them. Yeah. And so they, those two things are linked. If I think I'm not very good at something, I don't enjoy it. I never, that's just generally how I've always been. It's it's true of sport. It's true of just any activity because I, I want to do everything I do at a very high level of quality and a standard. So if I, if I can't do that because I just, it's just one of those things you can't be good at everything I just immediately put it into a box called I don't like it so I can't find joy in things like that so it was um I think it was because the job was very technical and it got more technical and it got more attributed in numbers okay it then became very heavily rooted in reporting and data because this group of people I worked with that's what they were good at okay so that's what they obsessed over And I literally felt like the odd one out constantly. So I think having those feelings of, I don't really know why I got this job and why I'm doing it. The fact that I wasn't very, I didn't feel like it attributed to my skill set. So I literally constantly felt like people are going to find out that I'm just rubbish at this and they're not, you know, they're going to, they're going to kick me out. Um, I was constantly waiting actually to be fired. Wow. Um, which is the it's, the it's the only time in my whole career I've ever felt like that like I'm at risk of, of being got rid of but I kept coming back to the point of yeah but on what grounds because I'm trying my best I mean I think that that was the other part of it yes imposter syndrome is exhausting because your self-critic is so loud and you're consumed with negativity constantly that's why it's tiring. It's all. It was also very tiring for me because I just kept trying. I kept trying so hard to be better. And it was this sense of, I set this standard for myself. Mm. Not from anywhere else. It wasn't given to me. No one said, you have to do this. You have to be like this. This is the way you need to do things. But I created that for myself out of nowhere. And then I just kept chipping at it. And I kept moving it as well, because when I couldn't get when it didn't feel right or it didn't feel like it was good enough, I just moved it on again and Mm. tried something else. So I just kept trying all the time. It was Mm. like, I'll try this now. I'll try that now. And that in itself was exhausting as well, because none of it was ever good enough. And that was because I kept telling myself that, but also because externally, you know, again, I didn't have a supportive network around me I didn't have a supportive Mm. environment so there was no one there going well done that was good or equally going I can see what you've tried to do there I suggest you do it like this there was no one there with that feedback ever I remember specifically asking one of my peers to help me because I was struggling with a particular task and he just wouldn't what do you mean he wouldn't? Well, it just wouldn't, wouldn't help me out. I said, I'm really struggling with this. I, I don't understand how to get to the result that was being requested of us. I've got some ideas and this is what I've done. I'd really appreciate your input and your thoughts. He just wouldn't do it. 
he just went well you just need to get on with it wow 100% that was how I was treated reflecting back and, and understanding more about imposter syndrome now feeling like a fraud a fake like you know that I'm going to get caught out that fear of continually thinking I'm going to get fired I think the incessant negative chat inside mm-hmm. my head which yes we all have an element of self-critic but as we've already discussed it did it was off the scale you know mm. constantly like having feeling like I needed to hide you know I think all of those things I now recognize as being elements of of that you know of this particular yeah. this syndrome which as I said at the time was not known about it was not talked about yeah um, and I think you know this the the constant feeling like you need to prove yourself yeah this perfectionism I, yeah. I think as well I think that was an element as well like I think I just I kept approving what I was doing on the grounds of it's supposed to be difficult I'm you know success is supposed to be hard and actually it was only through I, I actually found myself a personal coach at the end of that year so this was at the end of 2014 because I just reached breaking point and I was thinking I can't change this and I don't know how to improve my situation Mm. but I know I'm miserable and I know I think I'm thinking of leaving Mm. but I don't actually really want to leave this company I just but you know something's not right it was actually through coaching that I identified where my feelings were coming from why I felt that way where Mm. there was disconnect so the fact that actually my skill set didn't really suit what I was doing and actually I didn't want to do it so actually it it didn't matter about whether I felt I didn't have the skill set actually fundamentally I didn't want to be doing that job and I think I just hadn't it's so simple as an idea but I just hadn't really realized that the fact that it didn't play into my skill set it didn't enable me to use the skills I have and really enjoy doing what I do best that was quite profound I think realizing that actually the environment was not the right one for me and that my values didn't align to those I worked with. They definitely didn't align to my line management. And actually it was okay. Like they were allowed to have their values and their systems and their ways of working. It seemed to be fine for them. The fact that I was the odd one out, fine. I was the odd one out because I just felt and thought about things differently. And that is also okay. So now I just need to find a space where that's yeah. celebrated. Yeah, it was those types, yeah, exactly. It was those types yeah. of steps. And also realizing that I had this innate view that to do well it had to be hard and that was really interesting for me because I think and I still have it now if I'm enjoying what I'm doing too much I feel guilty Mm. because I feel like I'm not working hard enough yeah there there is an element of that that I I still struggle with and that I I'm like right I need to push myself harder I need to do something more difficult I you know because it doesn't feel like the success I'm experiencing I'm worthy of it. Yeah. <laughs> and that was quite an interesting thing I learned through being coach was actually it was okay to enjoy doing what I was doing. <laughs> and I think as well, like putting that success down to like other things and like external factors, like, and not the fact that actually it's, it generally does just stem from you and being okay with that, thinking mm. back to the kind of, you know, I'm enjoying it. So I shouldn't really be feeling like this because I'm enjoying it. It should be harder. It should be more difficult. And, and again, and that links back into kind of that element around berating your own performance yeah. and associating that with external factors. No, it is, you know, it, it is purely down to you, but I know that, you know, I can't talk from personal experience, but I did work with someone who was really suffering with it. And one day they did open up to me about how they were feeling. And I remember, um, and they, well, sorry, just to go back a step, they thought they weren't doing um, a good enough job at Mm. all. And I remember, I can remember where I was. I was kind of like sat in a coffee shop and it really, really shocked me because it was like the first time I'd ever heard this person say this and that how they were feeling and from the outside looking in they were like and they were appear to me they were absolutely nailing it like they were Mm. doing so much good stuff with their team individually they were hitting their performance everybody loved them everybody wanted to go to them for ideas and solutions and input and I remember like listening to the Obviously, this kind of, and going back to what you said, the word you used before, misery that this person was experiencing and feeling. 
And I was like, actually a bit blindsided by it. Cause I was like, Whoa, like, this is awful for you, but Oh my God, like, where are you hiding all this? Cause I have, I had no idea. And I'm really shocked mm. that this is how you're feeling and, and what you're experiencing. And I think one of the things for me, like that came out of that conversation, which I know we're going to talk about in the next episode is has a help if, you know, you're managing somebody perhaps who's suffering from imposter syndrome mm. or also yourself. But I remember leaving that conversation and thinking this person is really like assessing their own skills in a completely and their value in a completely unrealistic manner like they can't see what they are contributing Mm. and I don't know how to help them do that like I have Mm. no idea how to help them move forward and I wasn't a coach at the time either Mm. Um, and so I think if you are in that place it's you know it's can also be for other people quite a revelation if you are comfortable opening up and telling somebody how you're feeling and not everybody is um, it can also be like quite a revelation for that other person. Mm. I know we've discussed how we recognize it in ourselves, but I think just building on from perhaps that story, like how would you say you can recognize it in others and if other people mm. are perhaps suffering with it? I think it is a difficult one to spot in others because as you've just described so wonderfully there with that story, many individuals who are suffering with it will hide it because on the outside they're doing an incredible job because at the end of the day this phenomenon is so internal and actually it's it isn't it's unfounded so it's that irrational thought that you are doing terribly that you are not good enough that is actually in nearly all cases of it factually incorrect Mm. it's that not being able to identify and align with the reality of actually what's going on Mm. so it is quite hard to spot because from the outside the person is high performing and this does people who suffer with imposter syndrome from all of the research are really high achieving individuals so it's not it's it's not obvious I think no what is so important is, and, and it links back to what we've talked about and we do continue to talk about so consistently throughout the Coaching Cast podcast, is the critical importance of conversations. And whether it's peer-to-peer or whether it's between manager and individual, it's always ensuring that there is a focus on building, growing and open, honest trusting relationship where one-to-ones are regular conversations are regular and consistent two-way that encourages individuals to open up and share what's going on for them and how they're feeling and where feedback is a continual practice and again twofold because as you've just demonstrated in your example Susie you identified the individual with suffering with what could have possibly been imposter syndrome because you had open dialogue. And I think that's where it has to, that's where, yeah, well, that's where it has to, to come from. Mm. I think if you're always having those open conversations, you're always building that relationship with your individuals, as I said, peer to peer or, or with your teams, that's where you will pick up on signs of imposter mm. syndrome. And those signs being that striving for perfection but more from an incessant, so not being able to let it go, yeah. like not recognizing achievements, always looking at the negative and like what could be better. I think that kind of sense of worry, I think you'll hear it, you know, when you can hear people continually worrying about things. And I would say worrying about things going wrong mm-hmm. when actually there's nothing to suggest it's going to go wrong. I think they're quite obvious signs of, you know, imposter syndrome and and from the perspective of, you know, going wrong for them. Yeah. Yeah. I think those, for me, kind of those extreme or consistent like conversations. Mm. So when you're having those conversations with people and those things are coming up on, on a consistent basis or they're very extreme in terms of, that person's um, reactions or feelings towards their own self-performance or 
yeah. their own self-confidence yeah. definitely are red flags to yeah. explore a bit in a bit more detail and to try and get to understand. Just going back to what you said about um, uh, sometimes a lot of high achievers suffer from imposter syndrome. A very famous person when I was researching for this episode, actually, who suffers from imposter syndrome and has been outwardly, um, you know, uh, talked about it is Lady Gaga. And yeah. I've got a quote here that I found. Um, I'm just going to read it out. That she's taught, she said about imposter syndrome. And um, I still sometimes feel like a loser kid in high school. And I just have to pick myself up and tell myself that I am a superstar every morning so that I can get through this day and be for my fans what they need for me to be. And that's directly from Lady Gaga on her experience of suffering from imposter syndrome. Mm. And I read that and I was like, wow, again, I never would have thought that that's how she would feel on every morning on a daily Mm. basis. She would need to tell herself that because to me, outside looking in, she's an absolutely talented superstar. Totally. It's really interesting. So I'm obviously not Lady Gaga uh, and I don't have a massive (laughs) fan club. Not yet, anyway. There's still time. Hi <laughs> out there to everyone listening. Um, it's interesting. I uh, I posted a couple of months ago now. I posted, I think it was a video on my uh, LinkedIn profile and Instagram account, my personal coaching one, mentioning feelings of uh, imposter syndrome from my history. And... And a member of the team who I managed at the time reached out and messaged me privately to say, I've watched your video. And I just wanted to say that I'm so sorry you felt that way at the time. Mm. And that I had absolutely no idea that Mm. that's how you were feeling. Because to me, you were always showing up really confident, had had a plan, knew what we were doing. And from for me, you were always smashing it. Yeah. And it was such a sweet message. It actually made me quite emotional at the time. But it again, it kind of corroborates the point that we've already discussed, which is for those of us suffering with it, we're so consumed with the feeling that everyone thinks we're rubbish and that we're going to get found out, that we're going to get fired, that we're going to fail you get so consumed with it that you don't actually see what everybody else sees, which is yeah. always, it's, it's, it's the opposite. And actually having that feedback to counteract your viewpoint is a huge part of helping you to, to manage it and get through it. Um, and, and as I said, demonstrates that however you're feeling, people are seeing something completely different, you know? Yeah. So if you're listening to this or watching this on YouTube and this discussion resonates with you, either in terms of you feel that you may be um, suffering some of the symptoms of um, imposter syndrome and or perhaps managing somebody or working with somebody in a team um, who this perhaps resonates with and you're thinking, okay, so what? What do I do with this conversation? Well, do not worry. Next week's episode, Lisa and I are going to be uh, talking about our top tips for um, helping effectively uh, manage imposter syndrome, both for yourself as an individual and also if you lead a team as well. Uh, So that will be coming in next week's episode. So for this third season, we're introducing a new feature to the coaching cast, one which we hope will add some humour to your day and lift your mood. It definitely will for me. This is selfish. It definitely will for me. So we bring you Workplace Shames. So every other week, we'll share a workplace shame, either one of our own or one given to us by a listener. We want to know your funniest, silliest, most embarrassing work stories or admissions. So, for example, that time you farted really loudly in the office in front of your managing director, the time that everyone witnessed you snogging the apprentice, etc., etc. Just send us an email to hello at the coachingcast.co.uk 
or you can message us on Instagram at the coaching cast. Don't worry, you will remain anonymous. We won't be sharing yeah, names. We won't share anything. Absolutely not. So please, please share with us your workplace shames that you're comfortable for us to share here on the coaching cast. We really appreciate it. But for today's very first workplace shame, I've been really mean and I've said that Susie has to share hers. <laughs> can you believe it? I know. I'm, I'm, go first. I'm surprised you've gone through this. I'm surprised you didn't say, no way, you're going first. But anyway, so Susie, you're going to kick us off with I <laughs> your most embarrassing workplace shame. I should have vetoed this a long time ago. <laughs> But I feel like, yeah, I'm in it now. So I'm going to have to go with it. Oh, God. Okay. So let me tell you a story. (laughs) So 15 years ago, I was working as a, um, I was on my university placement year. Okay. So I was working uh, up in Sheffield um, and I was working for a big uh, manufacturer who made sandwiches, so pre-packed sandwiches. Uh, and I was working in marketing. Okay. So I was doing a marketing degree. So it's my very first um, kind of experience, I think, of working in an organization, in an office environment with lots of different people. And oh, God, I can't even tell the story. Um, so I part of my role was to photograph um, like sandwiches, so like competitor sandwiches that we would buy from lots of different shops. That was like a great job. I know, I reflect back, I'm like, what the hell? Anyway, um, so I would photograph all these like different competitor sandwiches. So like places from places like Pret and like Cafe Nero, et cetera. And then I would upload them onto a database or something. Um, anyway, to do that, you obviously need a camera, don't you, to, to do a photograph? Because this is like 15 years ago. So iPhones and like cameras and phones weren't very good at that point. She needed like an external camera. So off I went um, to borrow a camera. There was one camera on the site from IT. Okay. So I went to borrow this camera, took it back to where I was working, did all I needed to do, the camera, et cetera, and then went back to IT. And there was, I got talking to the person, um, the guy who was there. And I don't know what made me do this at all. Like I generally now I reflect back on it and I'm like, I don't know why I did this. But anyway, he put his hand out like flat like that. So if you're not watching us on YouTube, just literally like put your hand out like flat. So palm facing upwards, like towards the ceiling. And for some reasons, I had the camera in one hand, but I didn't put the camera in his hand. I just held his hand <laughs> my other hand. So for some reason, I just put my hand on his palm. <laughs> I have no idea why I did this. And I was holding his hand <laughs> in the office. So I was just like holding his hand and I had the camera in my hand and he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, <laughs> I was like uh, and then he was like, I just wanted the camera back. I was like, oh God, yeah, of course you do. So I got this camera and like gave it to him back. But I basically just held his hand for like what felt like an eternity. Oh my I still God. don't even know why I did that. Like, I have no idea. I think I just got like a bit, I don't know, like overwhelmed. I'm not sure. Anyway, so what that was, it was honestly so embarrassing because then everyone was laughing at me like he was sat round because it was like in the middle of this open plan office. And I'm just like holding this guy's hand unnecessarily. And Oh God, it was like, honestly, it was so awkward. Anyway, that's one of my my workplace shames. That is a brilliant one as well. Do you know what? I now have a real aversion to like physical contact, like at work. I don't like shaking people's hands. I mean, so like COVID, for example, is brilliant because you don't really shake people's hands anymore. I'm like, oh God. (laughs) Like, so now it's like a trigger for me. Like it's a real blocker. I'm like, oh "Oh, no, I don't like Because I've got this previous experience where I just totally, I don't even know what was going through my brain, but I got totally wrong, totally misjudged the situation. And I'd learned from it and it stayed with me. It's like scarred me for life. So now I'm a bit like, so if you ever come across me or we meet in in a work situation, don't ever offer me hands handshake like it's fine let's just crack on and get get down to business like no I don't like it (laughs) brilliant oh god so yeah that's my workplace change so I've kicked us off this season so if that resonates hopefully that's giving you a little giggle um but if there's anything uh that resonates for you and you'd like to share your workplace shame then please get in touch It's now time for 
Bullshit Bingo! It's back and where we call out phrases which get commonly used in the workplace, which quite frankly make us cringe. Today's Bullshit Bingo was given to us by one of our YouTube channel subscribers and it is Starter for 10. Lisa, what are your thoughts on this one? I mean, I've heard this one quite a lot. And I'm, I think it's, well, when someone says start for 10, it's when they go, so give us your like, go start for 10. Isn't yeah. it like, like go with your initial thoughts? Yeah. But I've, I don't really understand it. Why starter for 10? I mean, I have definitely used this. I think I, I say this every week. I've definitely used this. I have oh, used this. In what context then? Have you used it? So I've used it where we were, we would be like, so I used to look after like a fairly big uh, field sales team. Yeah. But I was working with my managers and we were like thinking about how to achieve a task or overcome a problem. And I had some thoughts, which I wanted to like get people's views on or discuss. I'd be like, okay, so start off a 10. These are my ideas. That's how I would have used it back in the day. Uh, okay. It's a filler, though, isn't it? Isn't it a bit of a filler? We, I think we've talked about this before with bullshit bingos. Majority of them are like fillers. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, it's just a filler. Why would, why would you just not say, give me your first go. 10? Let's go. We're going to come up with 10 ideas. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Start for 10. I don't know if I've ever used it. I think I don't really get it. Start for 10. It's a weird one. I'm I promised. think if you've not used it, that's pretty good. You've done pretty well because I think this is quite a common one. And, and when, when we got it through, I didn't actually get the name of the person who put this on YouTube because... YouTube has this weird thing where it just shows you initials. So don't yeah. actually know who it is. But when I got this through, I was like, that is a great one. I've used that myself. Um, I'm flummoxed. I've not really got anything to say wow. for this one. This has taken the words away from Lisa. I mean, I never thought I would <laughs> I would, I would, would see this. My goodness me, this is a hell of a bullshit bingo to start off the new season. Right. Well, uh, I think we're going to leave it there. But yeah, I've definitely used it. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming to the end of today's first part of a special two-part episode discussing imposter syndrome, where we've clarified what the term actually means, how it presents itself, and our personal experiences. We hope you enjoyed today and learnt and understood more on what this syndrome is. If you have any questions, thoughts or feedback, we always love to hear from you. So please contact us at hello at thecoachingcast.co.uk or you can message us on Instagram at thecoachingcast. Your support means everything. Therefore, if you like what you've heard, then give us a follow on Instagram, leave us a review on Apple and Google podcasts, and most importantly, subscribe to future episodes wherever you listen. Also, don't forget YouTube, where you can find us by searching The Coaching Cast. As mentioned, our episode next week continues this discussion about imposter syndrome, where we'll be sharing our recommended approach for managing this for both yourself and also for others. We both love music and use it to motivate and energise us. So we like to finish each of our episodes with our personal song recommendation, giving you positivity and energy as you launch into your next Zoom meeting or even face-to-face meeting if you have returned back to the office. It's my choice this week and I've chosen Higher Power by Coldplay. Love. So thanks very much for listening. Uh, Have a great week. And remember, you've got this. (laughs) 